Good morning. There's an author you probably have never read. His name's Leo Tolstoy, books this thick. Uh, He says a very simple line. He says, in the name of God, stop what you're doing, cease your work, and look around you. Uh, That's really what I want to do this morning as we look at the topic of mental health. Uh, I'm going to assume most of you have never heard me speak. Uh, My name is Brett. I come from Ajax. Uh, It was actually a really nice drive yesterday. It was five degrees in Ajax. I arrived here to sun and about 16 Uh, My background is education. Uh, I left that a number of years ago. I travel full-time speaking on issues that I think we've often just forgotten to talk about, Uh, things like sex. We need to look at how we can get a biblical worldview of healthy sexuality, pornography, dating, media, men. uh, uh, Parenting is the topic tonight, but uh, today is my favorite talk, which is just called The Walking Wounded. Uh, I'm married uh, with my wife Dawn, my daughter Zoe, my son Ben. Now, this picture is five years old. It's my favorite photo of my family, but my kids are a lot bigger. Uh, Zoe's now 17. Uh, My son Ben is now 15. Uh, But I put up this picture for one reason. Um, It's my favorite photo, but it's a lie. No one in this picture knew that I was this far away from having a panic attack, but I put on a smile, and I smiled like life was good, even though it wasn't. My life changed a number of years ago, and it's weird for me because I actually have a date. My life changed March 1st, 2012. I left teaching. I did a program called the Arrow Leadership Program, went straight from Arrow into a master's degree down at Wheaton Grad School in Chicago. I now found myself in an interesting predicament. I'm now having to speak 300 dates a year to pay for my master's degree because I'm an international student, and it's way too much. My board, my friends, my family, my wife said to me, you have to slow down, and I just kept saying, March 1st, 2012, because if I can just make it to March 1st, 2012, I can kind of, everything can get back to normal. Uh, So I made it to March 1st, 2012, and the uh, first morning I woke up two hours early, which was a little weird, and then a few weeks later I was speaking at Pentecostal Church in Woodstock, and I had my first incidence of weirdness, as I call it. I had five, six, seven hundred students in a hall and I'm walking up and down the front like I always did and the world turns sideways for me. You know when you're speaking in the front of your brain and the back of your brain's like, what am I going to do for lunch? You know, that kind of thing. My back of my brain was, how do you gracefully pass out in front of people? I'm I'm 6'6". Do I just fall over? Do I go down to one knee? And like, I I asked for a break. I suddenly found myself with a juice box. A woman's like, do you have diabetes? Like, do you need insulin? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Went home to my doctor. My doctor said, you have anxiety. I said, no, no, Dr. Wong, I I speak on anxiety. He said, no, 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 you have anxiety. It was this weird back and forth. I went home. I was doing okay, so I went back on the road. I uh, was actually heading out to uh, speak at uh, all the Catholic high schools in the Windsor area, and my second morning of my tour, I found myself crying in my car. Nothing's happening, but something's happening with me. Canceled my tour, went home. This went on month after month until it all came to head at a camp you probably know, Lakeshore Pentecostal Camp. Uh, Rich uh, Jane says, was bringing me in to speak, and I was doing a few sessions, but I never got there. I went to McDonald's the day before. I collapsed in the parking lot, could not leave the cottage for the entire week, and then didn't leave my house for five months and didn't work for a year. There's irony in my journey in that I'm a speaker who speaks on mental health, who to this day, seven plus years later, still struggles with mental health. Uh, This morning, we have a short period of time, but I would just say, please be a good, not just listener. It's funny, if you look at the word listener in Scripture, it's actually two components. It's actually like listening and responding. It's not just like nod and "Mm mm-hmm once in a while, and we say an amen, then we all go home. There should be some kind of, you know, response to what we hear each week. Uh, You can use your phones, whatever you have. You can take photos of any slide that you like. Uh, And if you see that little take home button, it means whatever's on the screen, I've linked directly for you on my website. So a couple of just quick ground rules. Uh, Number one, we got to get this done better. 
Because the topic of mental health, I find as I travel, uh, I speak to many, many people who've left the church outright due to issues they've had with people in the church on mental health. And I'm just saying we can do this better. Uh, Number two, uh, I do come from a faith-based perspective. I grew up Baptist. I married a Pentecostal. It's not supposed to happen. I do know that. Uh, We now attend an associated gospel church called C4 down in Ajax. Uh, But the truth is with faith is this. Each of you have grown up in different homes, and you all have different stories, and you all have different feelings and thoughts on conversations of mental health and healing and faith and how they all play a role together. We'll walk through a few debates today, but if you want to debate, come talk to me afterwards. Uh, I just say, the people who get hurt in massive debating conversations are always the people hurting. It's never the people debating. By the way, I love good debates. We get to sharpen ourselves as speakers, as leaders, as pastors, as parents. Statistics are all wrong. Uh, I give you a bunch, but they're all wrong. Statistics are just a snapshot of a time and a place in the world that doesn't exist anymore. So if I say something's 80, it could be between 70 and 90. And the most important one this morning is just this. I need you to trust me. We are not leaving Christian faith. We're just looking at how do we connect our ancient faith with our modern world with a really tough conversation on mental health. So it was interesting for me, and this is the best picture I've ever found. I found myself at home. A speaker, a leader, a dad, someone who speaks on mental health, often called an expert on mental health, which I find funny because I'm now at home and I can't leave my home. And in would come my friends. And you've all, I'm assuming, read the book of Job, Job's friends. Each person came in, took a seat across from me, and almost all of them would say something that went like this. Well, have you tried? And then they would give me something. Over and over again, people would say, have you tried Jesus? And I would be like, well, I know Jesus. They're like, well, have you tried Jesus? I'm like, what do you mean by that? Like, like it's a chocolate bar I didn't take. And, I, and, and they would say, isn't that what I'm supposed to say to you? And I would say, I actually don't know. And then they would leave and I would feel really confused. And the next person would say, have you tried these milkshakes? And I'm like, milkshake, like Jesus to milkshakes, really big shift here. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, there's these really healthy milkshakes. And the next person would say, have you gone for a walk today? And they all left. My wife came in uh, about five months. I'd been at home for five months and she, like, I'd actually quit speaking. She said, um, you're, you're gonna die. And she said, we need to chat. And her chat was actually worrying I was going to take my life. Not a chat you ever want to have with a spouse or anyone. But she said, you need to create or you're going to die. She called me a creative. I don't think I'm a creative. I think painters and musicians and artists are creators. But she said, you take complex things and make them simple. And I'm like, okay. She said, what would you do if you'd ever speak again? And I said, I'd want to answer the question, what do you do if you're struggling with anxiety? How do we have an answer that's biblical and practical? not just kind of grasping, you know, try these milkshakes and different things. And that's where the beginning of this, this morning's conversation came. And here's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at anxiety and depression. And yes, there's so much more to mental health than that. Basic first steps, how our faith plays a role, some basic thoughts, and then we're going to be done. And when I say done, it's not done, right? That's, that's when we, in, in small groups, we have conversations over lunch today. In our homes, we begin to have better conversations on mental health. So depression and anxiety, there's not a day that goes by when I don't see someone who posts online something like, like, oh, I'm so depressed. Does that mean that you're depressed? I would usually say, what happened? Did you have a really bad day? That's kind of the vernacular of the day that we use, but we don't even have a handle on what depression is. If you think of a continuum, doing well to like, like at home with debilitating depression, what about seasonal affective disorder? Where does that fit on that list? Because it's real. And it's only now, like in the last few weeks when you've had some sun up here in Sudbury, which by the way, we're not getting in Ajax, um, we all start smiling. Like yesterday, I'm walking around a little bit and people are all happy, like we're happy with the sun, right? But wait till like November when the time changes and everyone's kind of a bit groggy again, 
but that's depression, but it's not the same as clinical depression. How about you just lost a loved one, a friend, you had a broke up relationship, students, you didn't get into the right college or university program. How about you just feel blah, and you just don't know why? Or anxiety. If you had to come up this morning and be part of the band or introduce someone, uh, I've been in schools and students' hands have shook with a piece of paper inside. Is that anxiety? Sure it is. Is it clinical anxiety? No. We as parents worry about our kids' futures and lives and mortgages and gas prices. Students, you worry about all the same kinds of things. How do these things look in my life? Well, they manifest for me as things like heart palpitations, headaches, dizziness, which has been one of my biggest struggles. That's why I sit in a chair. Sweating, feeling like I'm going to die, feeling like I'm being choked to death, which is an ongoing thing for me with anxiety. Tightness of chest, can't think, can't read, can't talk. Feeling helpless, hopeless, worthless, disconnected. Hot flushes, fear, avoidance, there's hundreds of these, but the bane of my existence is not sleeping. I've not slept through the night once in seven years. I'm up almost every sleep cycle, almost every night. And if you all know, sleep is healing. There's something so important about a good night's rest. Uh, statistics, here are some. Let's do it a different way. How many of you, by a show of hands, know someone who struggles with any form of mental health? Quick show of hands. This is better than some statistic here. Statistics actually say it's around one in three. Meaning if it's not you, it's the person on your left or your right for the most part. This is a great quote. It says, people have taken to exaggerating their everyday experiences and punctuating sentences with terminology appropriate for a psychiatrist's office. They aren't nervous about an upcoming work presentation. They have bad anxiety. They are uncomfortable to go to a big party where they don't know anyone. They have social anxiety and they don't get butterflies in their stomach. They have panic attacks. Everyone deserves to be taken seriously, but maybe for some people we can use different language than mental health language that some of us actually struggle with. Now, my favorite metaphor for depression was sent to me while I was at home. You're stuck in a deep, dark hole in the ground. The walls are completely smooth, and you don't have anything to help you get out. Most people just walk past the hole, but occasionally, which is sad, occasionally someone stops at the top, looks down, and asks, what's wrong? You tell them you're stuck in this hole and you can't get out, and they reply, so just climb up, and you look around, and all you can say is, I can't. They say, sure you can, and then they walk away. This was my journey in the church world, and this is not okay. It's not okay we sing and we speak about being the family of God and community, and then when someone needs it, we're actually not there. Now, just as a side note, is technology all the problem? No. There's these emails and messages that go around social media blaming technology on everything. No, we, we do believe we've seen a 25 to 40% increase in mental health cases since the advent of the smartphone, but many other things have changed since then. The pressure, our lack of you know, sleep and diet, the idea of dopamine is affecting us. Every time your phone has a ding, you get a dopamine hit to the brain. What do a million dopamine hits do to a person over 10 years? We don't know. But there's many other things we have to remember. There's a predisposition to mental health, trauma, burnout, breakdown, which I might be, sleep apnea, even the way we're becoming more isolated and lonely as people, especially for the men in the room. As Canadians, we began to talk about this when McLean's Magazine did a poll. They polled 1,600 students at U of A, University of Alberta, which is in Edmonton, and the stats floored them. The only one that doesn't matter to me is number two, because I don't know when they polled them. Was it frosh week? Was it exam times? If you're, right, if you're in grade, like any high school students getting ready for exams in four or five weeks, right, there could be some stress. You can cope with that, but it will be done. 51% felt life was hopeless. 87% were exhausted, but not from physical activity. 62 lonely, 66 very sad. Over a third were so depressed that they could barely function. Over a half had overwhelming anxiety. They made a premise, maybe it's just U of A. I always just say the Edmonton Oilers are such a bad hockey team. Don't say that in Edmonton, even as a joke, it does not go over. 
They made a premise so they could pull more people. They did. Every college, every university in the country, and every statistic went just a little bit higher. Tomorrow morning, I will drive home, and in my four and a half plus drive home, I will pass hundreds and hundreds of schools and churches and camps and businesses, and in every single place, these are our statistics today. It's your church, it's mine. Now, this morning, I don't have time to go through everything, so I've given you a whole bunch of things online. Claire Hughes, the Olympian, her trip across Canada talking about mental health, Bell Talk Days, I've given you some panic programs. Uh, Panic's an interesting thing. It's like a grenade that the pin gets pulled and it explodes in you, but it's emotions that get exploded. Uh, I'm assuming at some point in your life, most of you have been to Wonderland. Uh, If you have and you go on a roller coaster, you know, you get on the roller coaster and the little bar goes down, it turns the corner, goes up into the sky, you start hearing this tick, tick, tick as it drags you up into the clouds. Some of you right now, you just, some of you do this, like you hate roller coasters, you already can feel your blood pressure rising, little goosebumps breaks out. What's happening? The beginning of a panic attack, but you paid for it. You asked for it, like you chose it. Like It's funny how we want those emotions and feelings in one moment of our life, but you don't want it sitting in church right now, being with your family tonight, being in class or work tomorrow. I put forth that we give different sets of rules for people with mental health than people with other types of unwellness. The first picture, have you tried, you know, not having the flu, said to someone throwing up in a toilet? I have 1,000 emails and I stopped counting of people who've said to me, have you tried, you know, not having anxiety? Number two, it's like you're not even... It's like you're not even trying to stop bleeding, which no one would ever say, but again, mental health people get that. And the last one looks a little weird. It's someone giving themselves an insulin shot for diabetes. I don't think it's healthy you have to take medication every day just to feel normal. Don't you worry it's changing you from who you really are. I think we just need to begin with a foundation that when you're unwell, we should all be able to look at getting better. It's just the same foundation no matter what you are struggling with. Now, you might have realized in a few minutes into this, I'm not a preacher. I'm a teacher by gifting and by trade, and I'm a heavy researcher. So I've read 240 books on mental health. I've talked to tens of thousands of people who struggle, hundreds of counselors. Number one question I still get at least once a week, Brett, I love Jesus. What about medicine? Well, let's address it. I think this is really an easy one. I have asthma. Uh, No one's ever told me, don't take my inhaler. You take your inhaler when I need it two times a year. Antibiotics, we overprescribe, but we take them. Blood pressure medication, my father needs it to live. He has heart issues. Diabetes, of course, you take insulin, even though we we forget sometimes that there are court cases going on in Canada today of Christians who've anointed with oil and prayed, by the way, anoint with oil and pray, but then they stopped giving insulin, and their kids died of diabetes. And they're now being charged with manslaughter. And I'm like, I kind of agree. There was a case last year of a 15-year-old boy who had meningitis, and the father gave him molasses without medical intervention, and the son died. Cancer, I have multiple friends going through it. They're seeing oncologists doing different things, transplant rejection drugs, sleeping pills. My point is, for most of these, you say, do your best practice. But the moment we hit depression and anti-anxiety medications, welcome to popular culture, right? We're so polarized in everything that we do. Somebody once said, meds are always good. I'm like... That's weird. What do you mean meds are always good? Like, no one would like to be on meds. But then someone else said meds are always bad. And I think the answer lies somewhere more in the middle. Do we over-medicate? Yes, we do. A friend of mine lost his wife. Brutal car accident. Lost his wife. Went to the doctor. Doctor just threw him on meds. No questioning of what's going on or any, anything else. But what if you need meds? I was on meds, and then when I had my, I call it my full breakdown, I went off meds. And uh, five months in, my doctor, one of my doctors said to me, can I challenge you to take meds again? And I said, all right. I said, I'm not doing anything else. I was kind of a little cheeky. And he said, what would you do right now if you're in front of me and your arm's like dangling broken? And I said, I'd let you cast me. 
So he said, here's the most unmedical thing I've ever said in my career. He said, Brett, your brain's broken. Let me cast you. I remember going, okay, that's actually quite an interesting thing. Statistically, 30% of people respond to meds quite positively very quickly. 70% do not. Within a year to two years, it flips. 70% of people find help. 30% do not. I am still the 30% that do not. If after our 30-second thing, by the, oh, by, I read a book, oh, I forget the name, but in it, the, the pastor actually said that if you struggle with anxiety, he calls us temporary atheists. Have you ever thrown a book before? Like, I'm a book thrower. Like, I like, you should be challenged in books, but I'm not, I was actually on my iPad. But if he believes that I have anxiety, then therefore I don't trust in Jesus, he doesn't actually understand the root of anxiety. So after our three-minute conversation on meds, if you're like, Brett, I think you're wrong. Meds are always wrong. Here's my response to you. I'd say, that's okay. I think you're wrong, but that's okay. I love this, though. It's not okay to shame someone who makes a different decision than you. And this is where, like, do we believe that God heals? Yes. Does God always heal everyone? No. So here's the part. What do we do in the middle of these things? And this is where we head into religious abuse and we hurt people. Being depressed is bad enough, but being a depressed Christian is worse. And being a depressed Christian in a church full of people who do not understand depression is like a little taste of hell. It's probably the worst quote that I think I actually say, but one that I think is true. The Psalms treat depression more realistically than many of today's popular books on Christianity and psychology. David and other psalmists often found themselves deeply depressed for various reasons. They did not, however, apologize for what they were feeling, nor did they ever confess it as a sin. It was just this legitimate part of their relationship with God, and they interacted with God through the context of their depression. Somebody once said, no one in the Bible struggled with, and I clicked my button, and that was the end of that discussion. Moses, Hannah, Jeremiah, Elijah, Job, David, Paul. Now, Paul's a funny one because everyone, if you ever read a book on cancer or anxiety, Paul has it. People take Paul's thorn in his side and then extrapolate it to whatever disease or unwellness we're talking about. Do you know what we know about Paul's thorn in his side? Nothing. We literally know nothing. The Bible says he had something, he wanted it to be taken away, and from what we know, it wasn't. Now, I have no problem saying, I really respect Paul. Paul had something in his life he wanted to be taken away. I have something in my life I want to be taken away. He didn't have it, I don't have it. Like, that's a different way to view it. So here's two questions. Is there hope and is there healing? Is there hope is an interesting one, but an easy one. Yes, of course there's hope. Is that not the basis of what we believe as Christians? Hope, healing, redemption, rescue. Here's the other side of the coin. Do people who struggle always have hope? No. Do I have 1% hope that I'm going to sleep through the night tonight after almost 2,000 nights not sleeping through the night? I don't. I don't even have a 1%. I was up seven or eight times last night. Before I sleep through the night, I'm going to have to only be up maybe two times a night. My wife says she hopes for me. My counselor wants to give me hope for hope. It sounds like that movie Inception years ago where you're drilling down layers of things. Is there healing? I was at a church and I said, is there healing? And I just said, this is an interesting question. And a man yelled out, don't you think when you're dead and in heaven you'll be healed? And I said, oh, sorry, yes. I didn't realize that's what we're talking about, yes. But you know how many people have ever come up to me at the end of my talk, like come back to my booth and said, Brett, this is my wife, my, my husband, my whoever, they're struggling with anxiety. No one's ever said, when they're dead, will they be better? They all say the same thing. This is my loved one. Will they be better soon? How can they get that? Before summer, before school starts next year, before whatever else. If I had to generalize 23, 24 years as a speaker, think about Pac-Man. You're like, what's Pac-Man? A pizza with one piece taken out. The majority of it are people who say this, I went through a journey, and journeys change us. If you go through a journey that's tough, you will never be the same person. We come back to a different wholeness. I will never be the same Brett that I was before. 
Things that mattered to me don't anymore. Things that didn't matter to me do. The mouth of that Pac-Man, almost all of it are people who say this, I'm not in crisis, but I'm not better. That's kind of me. I'm speaking today. I'm out, but I'm not at home, but I'm still not better. I've had three panic attacks in five weeks. So my body's not well, but I'm not at home. So I'm in this middle ground. I'm not who I was, but I don't yet, I'm not really where I want to be. I'm not who I, I want to be. And then there's a sliver, and if you've ever taken a mental health first aid course, which I think we all should, there are mental health conditions, which are ones you will probably have for life. I say with a caveat, unless you get miraculously healed. I had one part in my journey near the beginning where I had over 20,000 people praying for me on a daily basis. I still have 800 people praying for me on a daily basis, and I still struggle, and God is still God, and I am still not. So what do you do? We've prayed, if we get healed, awesome, and if we don't, what do we do with that? We keep praying. Everything I say today is gonna be and, not or, but what do we do? So I remember sitting at home, and I'm like, if I'm ever gonna speak again, I would talk on mental health, and I, I put all the emails around me of everything I've, I've ever got back from people, and uh, I thought, well, God, help me give people a process more than have you tried. Every email said that they talked to somebody, and they got some kind of help, and I'm like, I really like this. Who did you talk to, and what did you do? Because if everyone talked to their pastor, this is really easy. We'll just put the pastors at the front at the end. Like, but you know, that's not what everybody said. People did say pastors, but they also said teachers, friends, counselors, like you, every human being, aunt, uncle, cousin, grandparent, and then people said Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm like, awesome, everybody. But maybe everyone just tried those milkshakes and everybody was good. But that's, I filled 12 pages and then I stopped. The first one said that Jesus healed them. The second one said an MRI healed them. And I'm like, those are very different, very different things. And I kind of said, I quit. If I have to come to you and say, here's all these things, talk to everyone and then do all that they say. As I'm kind of, I was lying back on the ground, one of the emails beside me said Jesus, one said Holy Spirit. And I sat up and I kind of pushed them together. I'm a very logistical person. I thought, maybe I'll find piles. And I found three piles. Now, I say this gracefully. We have a short period of time today, so if you want to have a more in-depth conversation, come talk to me. But the piles I give you, I say with an open hand. If you want to change them, change them. If you want to move them around, move them around. Do you know how many people have told me their piles? Zero. And I've spoken this talk to over half a million people. The piles were simple. Piles of the body, piles of the mind, and piles of the soul. And I thought a doctor's good for the body, a counselor for the mind, and of course God and pastors and prayer teams and people for the soul. This, by the way, is the mandate of every church I've ever attended my entire life. Meeting the physical, spiritual, and emotional needs of our community. It's, it, today it's my church's mandate of what to do. Uh, while I'm looking at this going, I love it, I'm reading, uh, sorry, I'm on an online video by Rick Warren, and Rick Warren, by the way, whose church Saddleback is the leading church in the world on mental health and Christianity. They use seven things. Body, mind, and soul are the first three, little different order. Uh, and I'm like, I'm going to use this because seven's better. But then I realized my daughter Zoe at the time was in grade four. I'm like, Zoe's not going to remember vocational. It, it, and I'm like, I like body, mind, and soul. And someone once said, is it even biblical? I'm like, sure, it's biblical. First Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of uh, peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm like, I like this. And then there's a mind, right? We have to throw a mind in there. We have one, will, thinking, choices, beliefs. So I go to my first talk thinking people will love this. I finish it and a guy puts up his hand and he says, Brett, um, First Thessalonians says soul and spirit. Why did you throw away the spirit? I'm like, that, I didn't throw away the spirit. Like it just sounded so bad. I'm like, uh, I said, tripartite theology debate. And this guy looked at me with this, he said, you know what that is? I'm like, no, you're a master's of divinity student. He said, yeah. I said, I just read some paper. And 
I said, you know what? No one else understands. Let's just change it. Body, mind, soul, and spirit. So I just changed the little acronym and we went to the next talk. But I don't like, like body, mind, and soul is clean and easy. I go to my next talk and a guy puts up his hand and he says, I'm really angry with you right now. I said, why? And he said, why is Jesus last? This one took me a few seconds to understand. And I, I said, wait, you, you think this is like, do this, if, it, if all fails, do this. I said, this is actually like three circles. Anyone get sick this past winter? If you get sick physically, you're not having the best devotional moments. And at that time, you're not writing like the best poetry or songs, right? Everything does affect everything. And I said, this isn't one, two, and three. It's three things simultaneously. And I said to him, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, do you think if someone takes insulin for diabetes that Jesus is up in heaven saying, oh, no, I'm last? He said, I don't know. Can we debate better? <laughs> like, I don't know is not a great debate. And I said, you know what? Forget it. Fine. We'll put Jesus first. I go to my next talk, and actually in my head I had said, I'm not going to do this anymore. Like, you can't speak things you are not heavily passionate about. And so uh, this was going to be my last talk doing this. And a guy at the end put up his hand, and he said, I'm really angry with you. And I'm like, why is everyone always angry with me? And I said, why are you angry? And he said, why is Jesus not bigger? And I actually said, I quit. Like, fine. So bigger Jesus, smaller mind. Now, here's the problem. We're debating two things. These people are debating a Bible college class conversation. That's not what I'm debating right now. I'm saying, what do you do if literally after the service, your husband, your wife, a friend says, my hand's shaking and I don't know what to do? How do we have an answer for that? Your issue might be physical, so go see a doctor. It might be uh, mental, emotional, go see a counselor. And for the most part, our faith will sustain us in that journey. And everything I say is and, it's body and the mind and the soul. Let me give you my journey. I went to my doctor, I got blood work done, I've been to a sleep specialist. Anybody been to a sleep specialist? Anyone willing to raise their hands? A few people? Good, you've all, you know these things then, where you go and they stick things all over your face and they're like, good night. So me and a buddy, my buddy is a youth pastor in Alberta, I'm off work, he's off work, both for mental health issues, both breakdowns. So we both go to sleep, now it's a number of months, it's not the exact same timeline, but I go, the doctor says, you have fragmented sleep. I'm like, I know. He says, there's nothing I can do for you. He said, which is good, right? It's good just to tick off something, that's not my issue. My friend in Alberta goes, doctor says, you have the worst sleep apnea we've ever seen, and he put him on, I call them Darth Vader machines, the CPAP, BiPAP machines at nighttime. He's been off work for six months, he's better in, get this, one day. 24 hours later, he's back to normal. His issue was sleep. His church, as a side note, refused to deal with anything other than the spiritual realm, and they would not let him go to a doctor. This is why body and mind and soul. I've taken medicine. Uh, presently, I take only a few smaller medicines. I take a lot of naturopathic medicine. If I need to go back that way, I will. I've had MRIs. I've had a neurologist books. I've had naturopaths. The list goes on. Some of these things are just natural consequences to your unsustainable life. So I would say, take control of your life. Eat better. I'm not saying you can't have a burger, fries, and a Coke. Maybe it becomes burger, side salad, and a club soda. I have a smoothie each day with more goodness in it than I've ever had in my life. Sleep better. Adults, I'm talking to you, not students. We as adults spend more time online late at night watching TV, watching Netflix, Amazon Prime. Sleep better and exercise daily. And I don't care what it is. Walk, swim, weights, do whatever. But just right, do these things. While you're doing this, do this. Get perspective, get some framework on getting better, change your pace of life, get some support for your emotions. You know, you might need a psychiatrist, and then someone right away in their mind goes, but Brett, isn't psychiatry from a different worldview than we have as Christians? Yes. 
But not everything Christian is good and not everything secular is bad. We have to put everything through a bit of a, like a sieve, right? Should we accept it? Should we reject it? Well, we don't blindly accept or reject anything. And I would say for many of us, just start having fun because once you're above grade 12, we seem to stop having fun. And of course, our faith, we pray, we study, we worship. Worship is a choice. Sabbath, having one, is a choice. Get some guidance, live in the tension, spiritual disciplines, read books by Dallas Willard and Richard Foster on reading and praying and fasting and studying the foundations of our faith, spiritual direction, restoration prayer, the list goes on. Our character, sorry, our circumstances will never alter the character of God. What you're going through never changes God. God is God always. We are not God always. When I'm in a public realm, I put up these things. You ever heard someone said they went for a walk and it was good for their spirit? It's different than what we're talking about, like a Holy Spirit, but these are still good things. Volunteering, gratitude. I have a gratitude jar at home. My wife put this out and we have a little piece of paper and we'll rip it off and put in like, you know, excited of something happened with my daughter's son's grades or Ben made the volleyball team and put it in and then we read through these things at Christmas. The spoons analogy just means you only have so many spoons to give. So if I'm not doing well some days and I have to work, I only give my spoons to my work or then to my family, but not other things. Mindfulness is just breathing, reflection, family and friends. I put up verses all over my house. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Remember just to read all the verses though? Nahum 1.8 says, but with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of Nineveh. And you're like, that might not mean exactly what I thought it meant. I'm just saying we make sure we read the Bible in context. I love Thomas Merton's prayer of abandonment, which basically says this, God, I have no idea what's going on. For me, this has actually been the heart and soul of my seven years. God, I have no idea what's going on, but you are my God, and I will trust you always in this journey. The goal was to take chaos and to make it something simple. I like body, mind, and soul. I like it, it's simple. It means if you, in a small group or with friends, have people who are struggling, you can do this because you should not be counseling. How many are actual counselors? Quick show of hands. Actually trained counselors, different things. I think I see two or three. Great, you can counsel. No one else can. Somebody once said to me, but the Bible says give good counsel. I said, it doesn't say give good counseling. It says give good counsel. Talking, loving, helping. It doesn't say you suddenly, you know, can sit down and help someone work through really, really tough things. We, though, Anyone can do this, body, mind, and soul. We can help people eat better, help people sleep more, we can look at their time, we can take them to the doctor, we can take them to a counselor, we can tell our small groups, our pastors, that we can all know what's going on in these journeys. And faith, do we trust God is who he says he is? Is God still God if I struggle for the rest of my life? Yes. It's hard, those are hard comments to think through. We dealt with an interesting one uh, one year ago. My mom had a brain aneurysm burst on her way to church one year ago right now. Um, Statistics for that are not good. Uh, And so we spent 19 days at Sunnybrook brain surgery, and she's doing good. She's back home. Here's what's interesting, though, because people kept writing and saying Jesus healed her. And my mom said, while in hospital, one lucid moment she had while she was there, she said, um, there was a baby at my mom's church that died. I think it was two weeks old. Now we're getting into weird things. If Jesus healed this person, what did Jesus do with, like, now we're getting into some confusing conversations. If one person was healed, one person wasn't. That's why I began researching suffering many years ago. I didn't really see a lot of suffering conversations. And one person, actually a pastor friend of mine, wrote me 36 purposes of God in our suffering. And I said, oh, are you telling me God did this to me? And he wrote back and said, "Um, I just Googled suffering and God, and this was the first thing that popped up in Google. I spent a lot of time wondering, did I do this to myself? 
like what's happening. And then I read a book by a guy named Richard Winter and it stopped my research. He says, why do we suffer? There's five reasons. Any reason you've ever suffered or will suffer goes into these five. Number one, Genesis three. Genesis three, we live in a fallen world and we're deeply affected by it. It was recently, um, well, about a year and a bit ago, I, I lost two friends uh, within a few months. Uh, one had a heart attack, one of my board members died. We live in a fallen world. Every day it seems to be there's some car accident or something that happens. Number two, we live with the effects of others' sins. Uh, many years ago, my best friend was a guy named Warren Parker and he was killed by a drunk driver. And forever, we've lived with that and his wife has had to live with that. We live with our own sinful nature. I said I would be fine. I worked too hard for too long. I know that. I said I would be okay. I was wrong. I always say I wish I could go back and do it different. But here's the problem with that, that thought process. I'm making an assumption that I would have been okay. You don't need to be speaking a whole bunch or do really, really busy to still struggle with mental health. I actually believe now that I probably had a predisposition to it and whether I was teaching or doing other things, it probably would have happened. Four and five are the ones we don't like, but we cannot throw them up. But we do have to have a balance with this. Ephesians 6.12 is in the Bible. There is a spiritual realm. My pastor has his doctorate in spiritual warfare. My church is a very unique church. We have a restoration prayer team. And so I went into my, my pastor. This was one of the things to do. And we went through this and I walked into the day and uh, my pastor said, why are you here? And I said, I pray that I'm fully demonized. I'm Baptist, by the way, right? That's not normal context out of my background. And he looked at me and said, why? And I said, because if I am, you can fix me. And he said, everyone who comes and says that, and he says, Brett, I'm gonna tell you right now, this is not a straight line for you. Like most people, it's a dotted line. There's always that realm, but this will not be your answer. And then God's discipline and discipleship. There's verses I just don't like. God tests his people to know what's in their hearts. It's good for me to be afflicted so that I might know your decrees. I love this. So which of these might me be right now? And I just say gracefully, I actually don't know. And for me, I've actually come to a place where I don't care. My life, my ministry, my health, my all are for his kingdom, his rule, his reign, his all. I could have never sat here seven years ago and had a conversation on mental health like this. Let's deal with the one verse we butcher too often, Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God to those who are called according to his purposes. We cannot make this say more than it actually says. Paul does not say all things are good. Life will not be good. We live in a fallen world, in a broken world. People will die in car accidents, heart attacks, cancer, the list goes on. Is God still God in these devastating things? Yes. Did these people only need to read their Bible more and pray more and they would have been okay? No. One of my board members, his father died of cancer three decades ago, and every time I've spoken this, he's begun to cry because his church told him the father died because they didn't pray enough. Like, these are regular churches that have just put this back on people. 30 years later, the pain and the suffering we cause, it's just not proper theology. Even in scripture, people who walked with Jesus, they didn't all have it going well. John the Baptist was beheaded baptizes Jesus and then gets beheaded, like knows and walks with God. The disciples, other than one, were murdered and martyred. Jesus was murdered. Someone once said, what about Job? And I'm like, what about Job's family? Because Job's family died. Job came back, but Job's family did not. The, house came, the wind came, the house fell, and Job's family died. Uh, the truth is this. Is God's kingdom moving towards its end in Revelation? Yes. Is it good? Yes. Will all of life be good? No. Remember, our good and God's ultimate good are going to be different. The best translation of this verse is this. In other words, whatever your circumstance, however it happened, God is still fighting with you and for you to bring it out for the good. 
I'm at a talk, uh, it was a Pentecostal church somewhere, and a systematic a theology professor walked up to me after, he goes, you know it's a verb, right? I said, what do you mean? He goes, it's working along with for the good. That's the actual language. Work. And I'm like, why don't we say that then? It would save such a debate. Statistics, by the way, one-third of people with mental health walk away from the church forever. One-third mill around in the middle. One-third, they say it's like Jesus meets them in their journey, like on a road. We need to stop having the one-third walk away. No matter what happens to you in life, if you break your arm, I broke eight bones falling off my bike. Another story, last August, doctor, surgery, all the other fun things. If you have cancer, you follow protocols. I have two friends, one with esophageal, one with prostate. We journey with them right now and what they're going through. If a tree falls on your car, it's not a faith issue. It's a who has CAA or the closest person with a chainsaw issue. If your house is burning down, we call 911. We are in tax season. If you need tax help, you get it from someone. Why don't people with mental health have the opportunity to journey that as well? It just needs to be an even playing field. And I think it's because we don't talk about it enough. What did I need? Well, let's just say this. If you're taking photos, here's two slides. This is what I'm going to challenge you to never say again. Please don't ever say everything happens for a reason. By the way, we've all said these things, including me. But I don't believe everything happens for a reason is actually even biblical. Now, let me explain that. If you take everything happens for a reason too far, we get to what's called determinism. Determinism is Islamic. It's actually not Christian faith. Now, if you believe everything happens for a reason, that's okay. I would still challenge you never to say it to someone. Here's how it goes. Someone's unwell, you say, you know, everything happens for a reason, and they go, what's the reason? And you're like, I don't know. And then you leave. And that person's now left in their unwellness to try to figure out in all of God's sovereignty, what is this reason? God must have something amazing planned? Same. It might be true, but don't say it. Are you still reading your Bible? I get this all the time. Kind of like if we stop reading our Bibles, God goes like, like. by the way, 90% of Christians don't read their Bible Sunday to Sunday. Most recent stat that I've, like, blew me away reading that. Like, if that's true, we are in trouble as the Christian community. Words from God, I've had many people talk to me about that. One of them made sense to me, just one. A woman said to me as I walked into church, she said, Brett, I did not see you. I saw a soldier clothed top to bottom, full military uniform. She said, son, the war is over. You can't find your way home, can you? That one still chokes me up. Like, that one made sense to me. God will not give you more than you can handle. 2 Corinthians says, of the afflictions we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our own strength, we despaired off life. It's like literally you can walk through the Bible where people had more than they can handle. And what did they do? They leaned back on God. God. It actually says you won't be tempted more than you can handle. We just can't change it. If you need any help, let me know. Just give them help. Don't say, if you want to go for coffee this week, let's go for coffee. Say, when can we go for coffee? Is there sin in your life? I get this at least once a week. And I'm like, oh yeah, lots. And then they don't know what to say. (laughs) Have you tried praying, saying the demonic, you'll be okay. Here's what I want you to do. Say, how are you today? I can answer today. I I can answer how I am today. Say, I'm praying for you and actually do it. The next few things just mean say something, say anything. I have friends and family who never ask me how I'm doing, ever. And I don't understand that. Give them a hug. I'm not saying rush and give people creepy hugs after the service, but I'm saying for your inner circle and your friends, hugs are good. Sit with them, listen to their journey, ask how is your struggle going. Let me just free all of you. You can ask anyone who's struggling, how are you? It's okay for me to ask my friend who lost his wife, how are you? 
It hurts, these answers. Someone might cry during these times. It's okay. I'm at a church in the West Coast, and a woman who I know has breast cancer comes down. The youth pastor's beside me, and I said, hey, how's your breast cancer? She bursts out crying. Youth pastor punches me in the shoulder and says, you can't ask someone about breast cancer. It's a flurry of activity. She turns and yells at him and says, he's the first person to ask me in two years. How? How do we live in a church and someone amongst us is struggling and we are not there? So we can ask people. Now, those of us struggling have to also know that if there's a day that we're not well enough to just say, I appreciate your question. I'm not feeling great today. I'll get back to you later. We both have to work on that. Some thoughts, some resources, and we're done. Please advocate for each other. Please advocate for each other. If one door's not working, choose another. If one counselor's not working, choose another. If one med's not working, choose another. Bruce Coburn, if you're more my age, the musician once sang, to kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. This is a fight, so fight. Too many of us have made that hole our home and never, never give up. For friends and family and everyone, you can make your church, your school, your business a relevant, accepting place for those of us who struggle by just doing what we're doing this morning, by talking about it. My website is just my name. It's bredalman.com. If you click on where it says the talks at the top, uh, it will click down all the different talks. Mental health actually is a, a new thing right here. There's three years of blogs there. Uh, I am doing, that's all my social media in the top. I'm now doing these weekly videos for parents on all kinds of topics. Uh, and mental health is a big one of them. Uh, you know, how to help your kid with a panic attack, how to help people deal with anxiety and depression, the list goes on. I do have five different talks. This is the one on mental health, and I have four different books. Two of them are on mental health. My reset book is a free ebook. I was asked to write out my breakdown in book form, which was really weird. And the guy said, I've never heard a Christian's perspective on a breakdown. And so I wrote mine. It's free on my website. Two slides. My counselor once said, put this beside your bed. It will be life-changing. And I'm like, that looks a little simple. And I did, and it was really good. I've had a really hard five weeks, so this has gone up beside my bed again. I've had three panic attacks, and for whatever reason, my anxiety is through the roof. It hasn't been that way in years. So we're looking and trying to understand, but great courage with great care helps me. There was a day this week I had to speak, and I didn't know if I slept the whole night. And I looked at the side of my bed, and it says, great courage with great care. Great courage. Get out of bed. Have a shower. Put some clothes on. Eat some food. Go do what you need to do. I had to go work, and I went to work, and I struggled through it, and I did okay. And then great care. Here's the problem. Most of us don't know what great care means for us. I mean, it should be everything from faith and communion together with people and other beliefs. Like, it should all of these things, but is it going for a walk? I walk my dog. I have an English bulldog. We toddle around our community with our dog. But the truth is, we, what works for you with care? You need to find out. For many of us, all these resources, all these emotions, all these struggles is overwhelming. Let's slow it down as we close. You can only do one thing. You can do what you can do. You can eat better, you can sleep more, you can exercise daily, you can make sure your pace of life is sustainable. You can let everyone around you do what they do, pastors, doctors, teachers, counselors, parents, friends, and then, of course, as people of faith, we let Father, Son, and Spirit move in this journey as well. Our goal this morning was to move you onto the very beginning of a path of hope, healing, redemption, and rescue, and I pray this talk's given you some tips and thoughts on that. If you want to chat, I will be back at my booth after, and tonight I'll be doing a talk I do called Navigating Everything for Parents. Thank you so much for having me out. Have a good day. Bye-bye.